the best short films for lifelong learning, recommended by teachers for teachers. This is Short Films Teachers Love, with your host, Richard Lee. My guest today is an experienced teacher of media in the sunny state of Queensland, who I had the pleasure of meeting during my visit there last year. Um, In addition to um, her years of classroom teaching, she is also currently the acting principal at a large Catholic school called St Thomas More College. And Karen Chandler, it is my pleasure to welcome you to my show, Short Films Teachers Love. Hello. Hello, Richard. (laughs) Perhaps you can start by telling us a bit more about your teaching background, because I know that media is relatively new at your school, but when I visited, uh, you were very much seen as the guru. So tell me about that. Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't call myself a guru, but um, certainly I um, started teaching in 2003, and I got my first teaching uh, experience at a small school in a country town called Stanthorpe. So those of you who are interstate or even international, it's just on the border of New South Wales and Queensland and it's a very cold place even for sunny Queensland and that was my first experience in teaching and as a small school they offered two art strand subjects, uh, media arts and visual arts and um, I was the one and only film and TV teacher at the school and as a fresh-faced 22-year-old, I was uh, taken to a room where film and TV was being um, taught and delivered and it was a dusty old room and it had a few students who were enrolled in the class and all of a sudden I was their film and TV teacher. So that was my first experience of teaching media or film and TV. And in a regional place like Stanthorpe, the students were a little bit detached from um, the city life or even in terms of things that were done on, on broad scales, large scales in um, in the cities or international. They were a little bit um, closed off in their, their knowledge of um, international media, um, filmmaking or broadcast or print media even sometimes. So it was um, it was good, um, but as the only teacher at the school teaching film and TV and media, I had to write all the programs and um, and I enjoyed that and it was a good teaching uh, learning curve. I was there for four years before I moved to um, Brisbane and the school you mentioned in your introduction there, St Thomas More College, where I still work and I introduced media as a subject um, to year eight and nine students, that's about age 13, 14, and then a little bit later introduce it to older students, 16, 17, 18 years. Mm. So it's been evolving Mm. um, in the school. One of the reasons why it took a long time to become a subject is that it's quite expensive to set up as a subject. Once you start working with equipment and the technologies and media, um, things can get very expensive very quickly. Mm-hmm. So that's where I am now at this current school and we're very fortunate to have uh, five art strands, which here in Australia um, there's five different art strands, um, media arts, visual arts, drama, uh, dance and music. Mm-hmm. So we've got all five at our school, very lucky. So do you find that your the students that you're dealing with then come with a range of knowledge already uh, in place, or are they? Are you teaching them from the you know from the ground up? Mm, it's a really good question. In my particular college, they come from up to thirty feeder schools, and in some primary schools, um, the arts is very strong. 
other schools not so much and the nominal hours that are required does vary between schools so some students have come in from grade four working with ipads and creating short films using iMovie and other students who have never used uh, technology in any way in the classroom before so it can be challenging let's get on to the first film that you've recommended you you've given us three really interesting ones and very very different ones in fact um i was impressed that you know they're all from the same kind of stock they're all the the tropfest films um but they they represent quite a diverse range of the kind of films that you can get in tropfest so first of all i just want to ask you you know what is it about tropfest that that works for you and keeps you coming back well first of all what i liked about it was that it was australian and so often we, we see, we watch films that aren't Australian, that perhaps have come from an international um, place, America in particular, and also the UK. So I like that it had that local richness about it. Now, Tropfest is an international film festival, absolutely, but it had its roots in Sydney, and that's nice. The other thing that became really important about Tropfest was the rules in regards to the length that's allowed for the short films. Seven minutes is the maximum time that the films can be. They can't go longer than seven minutes. And in a classroom setting, that's really important. The students um, can lose focus after watching a short film that might run for 20 or 30 minutes. It's an example. And I feel that Tropfest really gets to the point in those seven minutes or less that some of them are doesn't happen very often where a student is happy to go home and, and, and he's ex- excited by something they've done in class and wants to find out more. And I can guarantee you every time I show Tropfest, a student will come back the next lesson and say, hey, I watched a, um, a short film on, on YouTube, a Tropfest one, and that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and we are, the questions I ask, well, what did you like about it? You know, was it funny? Is it a bit sad? Oh, we should watch it. Mm. <laughs> Maybe we will. Offer, I have to view it first. Yeah. But it's nice they're actually going home and, um, and, and taking their learning beyond the classroom. Yeah. And the other thing about Tropfest um, that I enjoy is each year there's a signature item and that might be a concept or it might be an item or it might be a, a theme, a number, um, but knowing that after watching a, a set of films... Uh, with students, they <laughs> I like when they can use their d- deductive reasoning skills to think, well, what could the item be this year? So I don't tell them what it is. So they might have to watch three or four or five or six films to start to go, oh, you know what, I keep seeing a, a cat appear in all of these films or whatever it happens to be. You know, is the item a cat this year? Oh, do you think it is? Maybe. And uh, the, the game I play in class is that you only get one guess. As soon as you call out and say, I've decided that this signature item's a cat, um, if they're wrong, they're out. Let's get on to the first film that you've recommended, The Unspoken. My dad's 83 and he has terminal lung cancer. Dad, this film is all the things I need you to hear. I've got to admit... I always looked at you as being completely indestructible, mate. I mean, there's nothing you weren't able to build or fix or solve. Yeah. Such a beautiful, moving tribute. Tell me about why you chose this film. 
it's a little bit connected to your response too is that very early on in in the film you get quite invested in the story and it doesn't take long for when that voiceover comes of the filmmaker who's also the son in this particular case to understand that his father is the only character in the short film Mm. and that he's an ageing man Mm. and, and that he's ill. So we are drawn into their story and, and want to know more very quickly about who is this man and and uh, why is he worth telling a story about. And it's done really well. And I like that it's shot so simplistic. You know, it's, it's such a simple way to film, um, single shot really, um, you know, occasionally moving to different parts of his body, showing his hands, his ageing hands and, and his leathery skin and, and his frail body um but it's done so tastefully as well and um the narrative that's just the 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 memoir that the son tells um by the end of those those five minutes you feel like you know that man as well and um feel quite privileged to be allowed to be part of um you know his life and his story ever so briefly so that's why i like to show it to the students they um the, the students that I, you know, that I work with, they all have a story a bit like that in some capacity. Mm-hmm. So um, often after I show it to the students, the comments are, oh, you know, oh, he reminds me of my grandfather or sometimes even great-grandfather. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it's so sad and, oh, he seems like he's such a lovely man and isn't his son so wonderful for doing that, mm-hmm. you know, in making a film about his father. And um, that's the nice comments that you like to hear from students. Mm-hmm. And um, they often ask, as students do, did, did he die? Yeah. Well, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know what happened. You know, yeah. we know that he's terminal. Yeah. So, you know, we'd assume that, you know, if he is still with us, that he's, he's not doing very well. Mm. Um, and just what I mentioned earlier about that connection with Australia, the, that, that Australian accent that comes through from the sun, the students, they do connect with it, mm. I think, mm. when it is a story that could be around the corner from them mm. um, in their own suburbs. Mm. So that's, that's why I've chosen it. That's why I chose it to, um, to mm. talk about. Yeah, yeah. I had that warm response to it. I thought it was a very warm film, a very sweet film. But also when the credits came up and said, it said this was dedicated to families living with terminal cancer, on the one hand, I was touched that this personal sentiment was being shared with others. He was sort of moving that outwards and sharing it, inspiring others to express their, you know, unspoken joy towards those they love. Really, really inspiring. But a more cynical part of me started to wonder, was this just a marketing exercise for Treehouse Creative? <laughs> I mean, it's professionally produced. He's a professional filmmaker. Oh, I and, didn't think of it that way. No, and I'm, and I'm sorry to go there. I hate to think <laughs> of that. but <laughs> I know. But, but and, this, and I'll tell you why I thought that. Because um, there's a niggling sort of track going on for me about social media too. You know, why do people announce their love for others on Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat? And I think they do it for two reasons. I think, firstly, because they really mean it, but also I wonder how much they want others to notice. It reminds me of a guy that I knew who who always made the most wonderful, glowing remarks about his wife, and you know, and they had five kids, and he made made these glowing remarks on Facebook, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, he left her, 
without so much of a word of any of it on social media. And we all thought what a beautiful marriage it was. Do you think maybe it wasn't really his father? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I, I did actually, I did start to wonder. I thought, is this an actor? And then I looked up and there were stories online about, you know, how it was his father and his father was dying of cancer and, you know, but but I I just, you know, as I say, I hate being that cynical because I think we do need to make positive stories. But I, th- I think it's worth some time. And, and maybe it's an opportunity to talk to students about why do you think yeah. he did it publicly? Mm. Yeah, I mean, certainly we talk about in media the place of, of media bias and we talk about not believing everything you see um, on television or reading in um the quality publication, the Korean Mail we have here in Queensland. Um, the the students at their age struggle to um, see some of those things that they do take it as, oh, that's, you know, a sad story or it's a lovely story um, and it wouldn't cross their mind really that perhaps someone was hiding as an actor. They do believe a lot of what they read and see in, um, in media and we do you know, in, in the subject of media, look at that. In documentary filmmaking especially, we consider the place of um, scripting and editing and how it can very quickly change um, the meaning behind a, um, a story um, just through some clever editing techniques. <laughs> Having said that, it's a wonderful film and I'm glad you recommend it. And I want to meet Jason. He's fantastic. I would, loved, I would have loved to have made that film. So <laughs> let's move on to the second film, Cargo. I'm not usually a zombie film fan, but this is great. And, and I think I get why you love using this one as a teacher of media. I love how quickly the filmmaker captures the audience and builds suspense about what's going on and explains just enough to keep us hooked. And you can almost feel the strings being pulled at each step of the emotional journey. It's like, oh no, what's happened to the dad? Oh no, now he's undead as well. And then he gets shot. And then you go, oh no, what about the baby? You know, the, the narrative structure really works nicely. And and so I guess I, my suspicion was, you know, do you use this for talking about narrative structure? So why, why do you choose this? Yeah, that I um, the narrative structure is is, is um, one of the things that I like about Cargo. That it has that clear orientation, complication, climax, and then it's resolved. It's not resolved. Things aren't always resolved well when it comes to resolutions of, of short stories, essentially, or short films. Um, but yeah, certainly that. Uh, the other reason I chose it is because. You know, these, these, the teenagers I work with, they go through, over the years, they've gone through these phases of things that are the hot topic and once upon a time it was the aliens and then it became the vampires and at the moment the zombies certainly are what people like to talk about with shows like The Walking Dead as an example. So in those, those after the car crash ha- happens and there's a bit of disarray and as soon as we see the, the mother and the, she's a zombie, the kid's 
you get them. They're <laughs> sucked into it. They want to know what's going to happen now with this zombie yeah, story. Yeah. So um, it was clever. So it was definitely well-timed, I think, from 2013 yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the throes of, of, of zombie mayhem mm. um, on our TV screens. Mm. So the narrative structure was really important. Um, and I do that with the students to when they are making short films, they, they don't know where to start. Now, what am I going to make my short film about? And I'd always bring my students back to basic narrative structure. Let's orientate ourselves with some characters. There has to be some type of a complication. The story needs to climax and that it should resolve in some way. And it's really nice when they're also able to use some of those skills they've learned in media and cross them over into other subjects, like English as an example. You know, teaching someone who's taught English and teaching short stories um, it's how, you know, all of a sudden asking students, well, just get some inspiration now, go, you know, write, write me a short story about something interesting um, and using visual visual media, visual language to help tell those stories um, is, um, is definitely helpful for the students. So, yeah, that's why I've chosen Cargo, I think. It's that zombie uh, theme and, and narrative structure, certainly. Yeah. And, and what year level do you use that with? So how old are your students? Yeah, I use that with um, usually year 10s and year 11s. That's kind of the age. That's about 15, 16 years of age. Uh, one of the things about Tropfests, if, you, if you've seen many of them, you've got to watch the, some of the language that's used. So I've obviously got to move away from some some films that don't use some appropriate language for the year level. But Cargo is fine. Um, there's only a little bit of blood and guts. The kids are okay with that. Uh, so, yeah, about year 10 or 11 generally. Um, I've previously in year 11 done a, a unit which is looking at genre and film and where students have to choose a genre that interests them, not that zombies is a genre, but um, drama is or, um, you know, suspense or crime or whatever it happens to be. And uh, we look at some examples of short films from those genres or subgenres such as film noir um, and, and get our inspiration from there to help tell a simple uh, story. Cargo also works because... There's not too many, and, and like the previous one as well with Unspoken, the, the, there's only a few characters in it. And I always say to students, don't complicate what you need to do here. You know, do you need to have, a, a, you know, extras galore? No. You know, you only need to tell a story, and stories can be told beautifully with one character. So in, in the case of Cargo, we've got the father and the, the, the baby, Rosie, and then um, the mother are just at the start, and then just at the very end is when we're introduced to those um, those three characters who are the the ones who are surviving the the zombie outbreak, um, and and it's told, and, and very few words are even said in the mm. film as well, yeah, yeah. that it's just through the use of music and special effects and those sound effects that um, we're invested in this story, and we, we need to know. Is this well? First of all, we're not really sure, sure, quite sure what he's doing. We're thinking, where is he trying to get to? What's he trying to do here? Mm-hmm. And then realizing that he has been infected by whatever it happens to be, um, you know, through skin and, and, and blood that maybe came from from his wife, and um, he needs to get his child to safety. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we, um, it's just at that very end there with um, the, the the three characters. Mm-hmm. That we think, are they going to save that baby or not? Mm-hmm. And uh, the students, when they watch it, that's when they start to be those horrible people in the movies who call out, and go, oh, no, they actually say it. They say it out loud, the baby, 
the baby. <laughs> that's me. Like, that's me. Can't I speak you, too. But they do it. The baby. As if that all of a sudden um, the the, uh, the the teenage or the you know twenty something girls going to um to realise that it's a child that's, that's somehow fallen to the ground in the grass. Mm-hmm. So that that moment when you hear the cry and she turns around, you think. Oh, all is good with the world now. Yeah, and even so her father's her father's journey was not in vain. Mm. You know, his child's been saved. Mm. So. And as well, sure. But it, but I think you pick up on two good points there that I hadn't hadn't thought about. And one is the 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 small you know, when we're encouraging students to make their own films pick just a couple of characters, you know, two or three is great, two adults and one baby, even better. Um, yes. But, but and, and this is also one of my favourites, is, is minimal dialogue. You know, you can do so much visually and let's, let's do the most we can. And it's almost, as you say, it's almost a silent film. And I think, um, you know, other media teachers I've talked to about, um, you know, they, they just have a, a standard let's make a music video because it relies on the song and it doesn't rely on you writing good dialogue. And so, but here's a good case for, okay, it's not a music video, but here's, it's a great drama that's easy to do because it doesn't rely on you writing lots of good dialogue because dialogue that's is right. really hard to do well. Yeah, Mm-mm, Absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, let's keep it simple. You know, that idea, that KISS principle, yeah. um, it's... Um, if you can uncomplicate things by not having dialogue, yeah. um, I say go for it if it works. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Was there anything else on that film? No, it's all good. I just wonder what the next um, theme's going to be, what's coming after the zombies. I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe back to aliens again. We'll see yeah. what happens there. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so I guess that's something that you are always looking for what else is going to appeal. Absolutely. So, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, you need to sort of to connect with the students you're working with and, you know, as because media is continually evolving, and you know, even though I'm, um, you know, relatively young, um, it's very you very quickly get out of the loop with what's happening in regards to the media. Even the, you know, yesterday we we're talking about different types of social media platforms, and the students mentioned one that I'd never heard of, and I got you know silently judged by the students because I wasn't quite up with the latest, whatever it happened to be. Yeah. It's it's hard to keep up to date with those things. They they expect you and they can see through you as well when you don't know what you're talking about, yeah. um, especially in the social media world. Yeah. And uh, you know, we've, we've considered the place as we move forward with um, development of, of media arts at our school where looking at the place of, of, of radio and newspapers and thinking, well... You know, a should we be teaching this to the students? Mm. B in how much depth? Mm. Um, C is there a place for it moving forward? Because obviously the the printing press mm. and its traditional method is um, it's not something that students are, are accessing. Yeah. And uh, and radio. Well, you know, when when I talk to students about radio, the things they actually talk about are the online. Podcasts that are associated with the radio station yeah. as opposed to sitting in a car or, or at home in their bedrooms mm-hmm. listening to a radio station. It just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. So, you know, th- those as, as media um, s- styles, I guess you could call them, um, they're on the way out and they've been replaced by emerging technologies. Mm-hmm. It's a challenge. It's a tough gig we got. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on to the last film. Um, you are so dead. Most of whom seek out other members of their species, knowing there is safety and strength in numbers. They move about in herds, 
generally minding their own business and keeping out of each other's ways. On the edge of these packs, there are harmless, docile creatures who belong to no herd in particular and are easy pickings for the cold-blooded killers that lurk in the shadows. My name is Sharon Burns. I've never had a herd. I've always been a target. You're so dead. (laughs) When my students are making their films for media, often the setting for the films um, is is school. So they have to make their films at school. Sometimes they take cameras off-site and that's great. And as they get older, they can certainly do that. And when they're working perhaps with with genre, they want to do a, a, a nighttime scene for whatever reason, they'll take the gear home. But predominantly the younger students are working at school. So by showing them a film that was made at a school, um, and I tell you what, some of those buildings look like some of the buildings around around many schools, um, they think, oh, it's accessible to them. Yes. They start to trigger ideas about a film that they can make just simply because of the setting. Um, yeah, obviously the, um, the, the storyline of, of, you know, trying to kill someone um, <laughs> Isn't something that I'm <laughs> promoting amongst the student body, of course not. But they like the idea of um, they can identify with the characters as well, and it starts with that line: "High school is a jungle," and it is. And all of a sudden, the students sit back and think, "Oh, uh, this is actually speaking to me." This film a little bit, and as they go through the different um, groups, and they talk about the you know why they're represented and the stereotypes associated with um, the misfits and the nerds and the and the bullies or whatever it happens to be. Um, while those you know, those cliques have changed over the time, the, the fundamentals are still there, mm-hmm. and they can think, oh yeah, that I probably fit into that group, or you might fit into that group, mm-hmm. and um, it's a little bit of a yeah a life skills lesson at the same time. <laughs> well, and that, and that was and and you use the word accessible as well. Um, I, I was even comparing it with the first one that in some way this film to me feels more personal it actually feels like a wonderful subcultural study of her the groupings within her school and even though it sort of flies into these emotional you know flights of fantasy about she's how she's going to kill whatever you know it actually it taps into something that's really genuine on an emotional level for the author and I think that's what it does well um you know, is so. I, I hear you saying that students pick up on that too. So they get that this student yeah. feels this way, and they maybe could make something that also reflects their own feelings about right. their subculture. Yeah, that reflects their story. We we make um, educational videos with um, year tens, and they have to educate us on on, on something. Mm. And um, sometimes we consider entering short film competitions ourselves when they ask you to consider. Um, you know, how are we being good stewards for the environment or how are we, um, you know, combating bullying in schools, whatever it happens to be. So to watch films that are set in schools um, that actually they can, it sits with them, um, it makes them more confident as as scriptwriters and filmmakers at the end of the day and they can um, identify with some of those characters. And, you know, I'm, I'm always a big fan of a, a film that starts a discussion and you've already said you know this the kids start talking about you know whether they're like this or in this group or that group um do you do you think do you you would teach other subjects as well so i'm just i'm curious to know how say a uh, an english teacher or someone talking about psychology or you know someone beyond just using this as media analysis do you think this film has a place in other subject areas as well Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so we um, uh, 
HPE, um, they have a, a week around uh, mental illness, physical health, all those types of things. And um, the students who do that in year 10, it becomes a whole cohort. So the entire year 10 population, and in my school that's 160 students, all have to do something for HPE week to, to, to build awareness around healthy, well-being, good lifestyles, etc. And students do gravitate to film just for a moment i think as a victorian we use we don't use the term hpe i think we have it's that's health and remind me what it stands for physical education that's right okay yeah health yeah, and health, health and physical and, education yeah. so yeah. it's compulsory in queensland to do up until the end of year 10 thank you now one uh, one other question just a random question to throw at you at the end what um what is your earliest memory of the moving image Oh, that's a good question on the spot as well. My earliest memories. My earliest memories <laughs> is watching the Michael Jackson thriller video that came out in 1984, I believe. I was the tender age of four at that time <laughs> and I knew it was a big deal. I knew that this releasing this, this music video, Michael Jackson's thriller, was a big deal and I sat down as a four-year-old and I watched it and I had absolutely no idea what it was. I didn't understand it. And um, I think I was a bit frightened by those zombies as well. Those <laughs> zombies have been there all along. I don't know why my parents let me do it, to be honest. My other memories are um, of the 80s when I was a child is um, of watching Neighbours religiously every night. Absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your uh, films that you love and the insights about how you use them in the classroom. It's really useful. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to the show, join our new Facebook group, or tell someone else who's looking for a short film for their teaching. <laughs>